Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you were recently interviewed by the host of a podcast called This Late Hour. His name is Casey Knowlton, and you said he is your niece's husband? Yes, Casey is my sister's son-in-law, and he produces the podcast This Late Hour, which focuses on current issues facing the church in these turbulent times. And the name of his podcast reflects the perspective he and so many people have, that we are living in the last days. And of course, one of the things that affects the secular worldview when it comes to where we're going as a human race stems from its understanding of where we came from, right. which is everything is the product of evolution. And that mindset is ingrained in our secular modern thinking. But it has also made major inroads into the worldview of Christians and their understanding of the history of the earth and mankind. The result being, for many Christians, a crisis of confidence in the Word of God. So you were interviewed by Casey with these issues in mind, and you felt that some of the discussion you had in the interview was appropriate for our Scripture on Creation radio program. Yes, Scott. So we're going to listen to portions of my interview with Casey Knowlton on his program, This Late Hour, in which he asks me some questions about biblical interpretation, evolution, and the age of the earth. So let's roll the tape. Well, thank you very much for being with us. I, I'd like to welcome Dr. Ben Scripture to This Late Hour. And uh, Dr. Ben, how are you? Oh, I'm doing just great. Thanks, Casey. It's nice to talk with you. It's nice to have you with us this morning. So one of the things that we've kind of been diving into on the podcast is, uh, you know, it's called This Late Hour. I, I mm-hmm. just, just looking around and seeing what's going on in the world going, wow, things are not good. And, you know, going back and looking at a lot of what some of the major ministries have been doing in the young earth field, you know, talking about really the disintegration of, of the book of Genesis from really our theology, our churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, many outside the church, uh, and frankly, even within the church, uh, kind of look at this young earth view as kind of this voodoo or some kind of weird, (laughs) ignorant, flat earthism. Um, What, how do you respond to to someone who would hold that view or, or, you know, come at you with that kind of Mm -hmm. a response? Well, I think that especially from the perspective of a worldling, somebody who doesn't believe the Bible at all, I would uh, try to explain to them that they are taking an awful lot for granted. They are just accepting sort of the status quo out there from the uh, scientific community. And they are not evaluating, especially the new kinds of evidence that are being produced from the scientific community, whether we're talking about creation scientists or uh, the the standard, you know, world's scientific community, there are more and more challenges being mounted. And I would just suggest that they not take so much for granted and be so accepting, but maybe be a little more objective and look at the kinds of evidences that are out there and see the kind of challenges that are being mounted. These people that are doing the research, like I said, they're not by any means all creationists. But yet, uh, for example, especially in the area of what we would call intelligent design, there are real challenges being uh, offered out there. And so at least they should recognize that this isn't all just a matter of faith. People must start with faith, but 
they are evaluating the evidence and recognizing that, you know, there are an awful lot of issues that Darwinism, that the evolutionary worldview cannot answer. In fact, the challenges that uh, really are causing the evolutionists to have to take a very, very defensive position. Sure. Then from the perspective of a person that believes the Bible, I would say you are not um, looking at the kinds of uh, challenges that are being presented by the uh, creation scientific community. You're just accepting uh, what the world says. And I would really ask them to evaluate the kind of uh, different evidences that are out there and maybe reevaluate their just virtual blind acceptance of quote unquote, the scientific community. Sure. No, it's a good point. Now you mentioned that, you know, there are many different new evidences coming out. It's putting a lot of evolutionists on the defensive. Perhaps you'd be willing to share, say five main points that you see giving a strong evidence standing for mm -hmm. the young earth view. First of all, as I just touched on, faith is a crucial foundation for whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist. So first of all, I would say that my evidence comes from trusting the Bible and having a lifetime of experience seeing that the Bible indeed is trustworthy. So the veracity of the history of the Bible, whether it's talking about the history of creation or the history of Israel, the kinds of archaeological evidence that we're finding that supports details about David and so on and so forth. My first evidence is I believe the Bible, and there is a ton of reason to trust this book. But from that, there are a lot of specifics when it relates to creation that the Bible just simply doesn't talk about. We could wish, boy, I could wish that there was a lot more about creation, a little more explanation you know, in there. We get one chapter in Genesis chapter one, and, and of course, there's a little more information there in two. We get uh, a couple of chapters about the flood, but you know the Bible is not a scientific textbook. But what it does say, I would say, is demonstrable from good scientific experimentation. You can assume all you want and then say, oh, the Bible is silly. But when you actually look at the kinds of observational evidence that's out there, nothing in the Bible is contradicted by science. So my first evidence, I would say, is the Bible itself. Then when we get to the more specific scientific evidences, I would say the most profound evidence that is uh, mounting now is soft tissue in dinosaur bones. And you're going to see that most of my evidence has come from the realm of biology because that's my field of expertise. And so I understand these things and find them to be powerful evidences. But this discovery of soft tissue and dinosaur bones is an incredibly powerful evidence for the young earth. That is because, one, the evolutionary worldview insists, of course, that the world is billions of years old, right. that uh, life is hundreds of millions of years old. In the arena of dinosaurs especially, you know, they went extinct 65 million years ago. So these bones that we're digging up at a minimum, have to be 65 million years old or more. And yet right. 
this isn't something that is unusual or there's some weird quirky, wow, isn't it weird? We found this bone. It seems to have blood vessels and stuff in it. This is becoming common that we are finding soft tissue in dinosaur bones. So those blood vessels, those red blood cells, those literally nerve fibers have been sitting around in the rocks for over 65 million years. That's absurd. They've come up with some hand-waving explanation, which now we are even doing research to demonstrate that that is not accurate. Things about, well, iron causes the collagen protein to cross-link and it makes it a little firmer and makes it a little stronger. Well, that's all just so layman-ish, if I could use that term. <laughs> People go, oh, well, iron. And so they get in their head the idea that, well, if it's iron, it must be able to last. That's nonsense. It does not enable protein to last millions of years. So what's the big deal? The big deal is how do they ever come up with the idea that that rock was 65 million years old? They're using um, carbon dating. Well, actually they're using other types of uh, radiometric dating techniques. And those techniques are the reasons why they say this rock is 65 million years old or hundred million years old. Sure. Well, when we know that rock can't be that old, uh, the, the material that we're finding in it, uh, in these dinosaur fossils, can't be that old, then what does that say? That says that those dating techniques are wrong. And so in my mind, the proof, and I would use that it's virtually that strong of a term, the proof that these rocks are not that old because we've got soft tissue in them completely then throws out the results of these dating techniques that they're using to say that the rocks are 65, 100, even hundreds of millions of years old. This should be headline type news. I mean, oh, this it's is... held pretty uh, under the rug. Because <laughs> I mean, if we think back even to some of the popular pop culture of dinosaurs, you know, the only way you were ever going to get blood was through a mosquito who happened to fall into sap and, you know, got frozen into this little sap ball and, and preserved. I wondered how they knew that that mosquito had just sucked on a dinosaur. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> anyway. Another mystery of the past. Of uh, Jurassic Park, right. Yes. But this is the kind of thing that should be really all over, you know, instead we're talking about UFOs, but what should be on... I would say at least a good portion of the printed news. Hey, we're finding all of this soft tissue and, you know, clearly uh, we've been wrong about this. There seems to be a, just an iron fisted grip on, regardless of the evidence, holding to that worldview. Absolutely. There's a, I would say a feeling threatened. It seems to come across from a lot of the secular community and as far as in the scientific field. What exactly is that about? And why, why is there this reluctance to just be honest with what the science is showing? Well, if the trust that the scientific community puts, and when I say scientific community, I'm talking about the majority who indeed are evolutionists, okay? Sure. Their worldview absolutely depends upon a deep time. I would suggest that that comes from much more of just, well, to put it bluntly, an imagination. It requires the idea that you can just sort of imagine, well, if you have enough time, anything can happen. And so right. to present these ideas, you've sort of got to have in the background, well, we're talking about 100 million years. 
that these attempts could continually be made, whether we're talking about chemically or uh, you know, geographically or, or whatever, geologically, I should say. So it requires sort of this vague understanding that, well, given enough time, anything can happen. So if you take that away, the masses are just going to abandon this whole idea of, oh well, yeah, you could get a fish to evolve into a lizard, into a mammal, into a monkey, into a human. Right. They know better. So you've got to have this idea that, well, yeah, there's a lot of time out there, so anything can happen. If that becomes challenged, if that is abandoned, then the entire theory of evolution, just the whole imaginary aspect of it, the story of it falls apart. And you just can't have that. So it is held on to, and any challenge, any real trustworthy challenge, a viable challenge of that time frame will just cause the whole thing to collapse. So that's why they hold on to it so strongly and don't even want to talk about it then when there is a viable challenge being made. Well, Dr. Scripture, that's all we have time for in our program today. You were in the process of presenting five main evidences for a young earth, but only discussed two so far. Well, yes, Scott. So we will continue with more of the interview next time. But to conclude today's program, I'd like to read what Paul said about being influenced by the world in Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 